God. It's not even about the miracles, but it's about your presence. And God, when your presence is here, it makes miracles possible. But Father, your heart is that your church would hunger for your presence above all else, Lord Jesus, that we would not just love you for what you can do, but we would love you for who you are, Lord God. The angels who are in your presence can do nothing but cry, holy, 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 because they're overwhelmed by your majesty and your beauty, God. And I pray that you would just begin to reveal yourself to this church in a way that we hunger and desire you above all else, that you become our greatest desire. Lord, that you, that we get rid of the idols, the things that we have put up in your place, the things that we give more attention to, the things that we truly care about more. Father, God, free us from those things that weigh us down cause us to miss the beautiful intimacy that you desire to have with your church thank you father lord we worship you today and we ask you holy spirit to continue to move in this place that your presence would continue to be felt in this place that your words would penetrate our hearts that you would speak to us right where we are father god you know every person's situation you know the baggage they've carried in lord you know the worries that they uh, are carrying god you know the mind games that are being played even right now as we speak and i just speak put peace in jesus name shalom the peace of god to just rest upon the, their hearts and their minds, Lord. God, we receive all that you have for us today. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God a shout and a hand clap of praise one more time? God is good. Thank you, Manny. Everybody give it up for Manny for being a helpful, helpful guy. I love that guy. I can always count on him. Let's see here. Well, good morning, everybody. Was that awesome or what? Does anybody else enjoy worshiping Jesus in this place? It's so good to be here with you today. And today we are in part two of a new series titled Get in the Ring. And last week, uh, you were challenged to engage in the battle. We were reminded by Paul in the book of Ephesians that we battle not against flesh and blood enemies, amen? But instead, principalities and rulers of the unseen world. And so one of the things we talked about was that as believers, it's possible for us to get so caught up in working for the Lord, sometimes even in ministry, that we neglect our prayer time and we can be as busy as we could possibly imagine and yet never truly engage where the real battle is being fought. And so we were challenged last week to begin to truly engage uh, in spiritual warfare through prayer, understanding that prayer is not just another weapon or another piece of the armor listed in Ephesians chapter 6, but prayer is in fact the battlefield itself. And so regardless of what skills or talents or what um, things that the Lord has equipped you with, they mean no difference whatsoever outside of a prayer life. And so today, I want to talk to you about having prayer as so much more than just a time of intercession or a time where we're praying and believing for a miracle, but having an intimate relationship with a daily prayer practice. And so to stick with this theme of boxing, you know, about getting into the ring, uh, and that's what we talked about last week was that uh, as Christians, sometimes we're like spectators sitting ringside. And we think because we're so close to the action that we're actually having an impact. But in reality, until we step into the ring, right, we're not having an impact on the outcome of the fight. And so today I want to talk to you about sparring. 
about sparring. Now bear with me here. See, one of the things that a fighter will do to prepare for a fight is to spar. Because before you can engage in a fight, you must first engage in training. Amen? And the purpose of a sparring session is to create an atmosphere as close to an actual fight as possible without risking harm to the fighter. Right? And so there's, a, there's some parameters and there's some rules. But what happens is the sparring partner is actually told to mimic the style and tendencies of the future opponent. Meaning he will try to fight and behave as, as, as the potential opponent will fight and behave so that that person can become familiar with his attacks. And in the process, the trainer is in the corner of his fighter instructing him as he's sparring with a sparring partner, telling him, hey, slip the jab, duck and, and, and go for the body. And he's giving these instructions as the fight is going on. And through that, there is this relationship of trust that is being built between the fighter and the trainer. So that when the actual fight comes, he recognizes the voice of his trainer. He understands his commands because they've been through it before in a sparring situation. And now when we step into the heat, he recognizes the voice of his trainer. But if a fighter steps into a ring without first sparring, he risks being completely overwhelmed by the situation. Everything his opponent does is going to come as a surprise to him. But if he has been intimately working with his trainer, he will be prepared for the battle. This is something that I experienced on a certain level. Now, I was never a professional boxer, but my dad owned some boxing gloves. And he brought some boxing gloves home one day and he showed them to me and I thought they were the coolest things in the whole world. And so I was about 12, 13 years old. And I said to myself, you know what would be fun? If I called up all my buddies and I boxed with them. And so that's what I did. Got the neighborhood kids together. And one of my first boxing matches was with my cousin, who's a little bit older than me and much bigger than me. And so he had about six inches on me in height and probably another six inches in reach. And as we begin to box, I began to, I began to realize really quickly that he had a distinct advantage over me. That if I was going to get close enough to strike him, I was really risking getting my clock cleaned by him because he had quite the reach. But no fear because I've watched a lot of television, right? And I've seen a lot of boxing matches. And so I knew that the proper strategy was to wait for him to strike, to duck his punch and counter with a body blow up close. That's how I was going to beat my cousin. So sure enough, it's exactly what happened. He began to wind up for a big haymaker. And as I saw it coming, I ducked underneath it, spun around to punch him in his abdomen. But instead of extending my fist, I lost my balance. I was too far forward. My fist hit his stomach. My shoulder continued to push forward until it went and just popped. Something tore. I, to this day, I'm not sure because I grew up redneck with no insurance. So my parents took me to the chiropractor instead of the ER at first, okay? They're like, just give it a little twist right there and I'll fix it. No big deal. <laughs> to this day, my shoulder is slumped forward and my shoulder blade sticks out. It's like winged because it healed back differently. So I still have no idea what I did to my shoulder, but I've never been the same since. And as soon as I heard that pop, my arm just hung limp and I cried out in pain. What makes it worse my cousin thought I was joking because he could barely even feel the punch to his stomach. So I felt very weak, very injured, and I don't think I really picked up boxing gloves again after that, at least not to box somebody. See, this is kind of what happens to us in prayer. This is like a Christian who has no daily prayer relationship whatsoever, no daily prayer practice, but they wait for a major crisis to pray. They wait for that moment when they need to believe for a miracle. And what happens is when that moment comes, we find ourselves feeling uh, ill-equipped and without words. We're not sure even how to start. And we're not praying with the faith that is needed to see this breakthrough take place because we don't have a daily relationship with prayer. 
Engaging in spiritual warfare outside of an intimate daily practice of prayer is like expecting to win the heavyweight championship of the world without ever having set foot in the ring, without ever going through a sparring session. And Jesus kind of explains it in this way to his disciples after they had faced a failure. A man had brought his son to the disciples for help because he was demon-possessed. And this demon was causing him to go into convulsions and it would throw him in the water and try to drown him and throw him in the fire and try to burn him to death. And the father is completely helpless. He doesn't know what to do. And he brings him to the disciples and he says, can you please uh, cast this demon out of my child? And the disciples could not do it. And they're baffled by this. So they approach Jesus in Mark chapter eight uh, or Mark chapter nine, verse 28. And they said, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, Jesus said, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. See, we learn uh, through reading the Gospels that the disciples were not fasting as long as Jesus was there. They never fasted, and they were criticized by this. And the religious leaders would be like, how come John and his disciples fast, but you don't fast? And Jesus is like, do you fast when the bridegroom is with you? No, of course not. Soon the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. And so there was already um, an anticipation that his followers would fast. But here he specifically tells them that there was going to be things that God can only do through them if they had a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. There are some situations that they were going to face, and they had already done miracles before this. God had given them authority to do miracles. Now, all of a sudden, something's not working, and God says, what you're missing is a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. And he's saying, you better be prepared because you're going to be taking new territory. Something that God is saying to our church, right, about 2023 is what I've been talking about for a few months now, is that we're taking new territory. God is going to take us into new places. He's expanding our, our borders and our boundaries. But there's going to be some things that are only going to be accomplished through prayer and fasting. But see, the average person approaches prayer more as a last resort rather than a daily discipline. A desperate plea we throw up in times of distress when, kids, we forgot to study for the test, right? Or, I just got pulled over for speeding and I cannot afford the ticket. Or, I'm having so much trouble with my, my kid, my son, my daughter. They're getting in all sorts of trouble at school. I don't know what to do. Or, my husband or my wife is emotionally distant. I'm worried about our marriage. And we come to God in our crisis. But if there's no crisis going on, he doesn't even hear from us. Jesus wants us, I believe, to begin to spar with him in prayer. So that we can be empowered for the fights ahead. So at your tables, we're going to start with this question for you to discuss. What does your daily prayer practice look like? And how has it played a role in preparing you for the battles that you have faced? So what does your current daily prayer pra practice look like? And how has it prepared you for the battles that you have faced in the past? Let's discuss, and then we'll get right back into God's Word. All right. It's great discussion happening at the tables. It's encouraging to hear one another's perspective, isn't it? And it's amazing how, and I just got to reinforce this every now and again, I believe in these tables, guys. And, and the reason why it's so powerful is because it changes our mindset. And, and now we're focused on not, not just receiving from what the pastor has, to pour into us, but we realize that we came to the table with something today, and God has put something upon many of our hearts to share with those at our table, and so now we are ministering to one another across the table, and you guys are making a difference in someone's life. Sometimes just simply telling your story and talking about your experience is exactly what somebody needed to hear, so just be encouraged that you are making a difference today. I want to tell you a sparring story 
Um, it was my junior year in college, and my uh, football coach approached me in the offseason, and he asked me to play a position that I've never played in my entire life. This is a position of free safety. See, I grew up as a receiver, a little bit of tight end in high school. I know it was a small tight end, right? But I played tight end in high school. Never played free safety. And so I said, all right, it sounded cool. It sounded exciting. Try something new. It was a year in which we had lost a bunch of players due to transfers. We had a coach fired the year before. And so our roster is depleted. And so they basically asked me to play free safety, not because I'm this incredible athlete, but because they didn't have anybody else. So the pressure was on me. It wasn't the kind of pressure that, like, if you don't perform, you're going to lose your job to somebody else. It was, if you don't perform, you're going to be embarrassed on the football field all 60 minutes because we have no one else to take your place. And so because of this, the coach spent a lot of time with me one-on-one. And these were our sparring sessions to where he would line up next to me. And see, the free safety has a lot of pressure on that position, first of all. If you don't know this about football, the free safety is usually the person who is lined up the deepest on defense, meaning that if you miss the tackle, it's a touchdown. If the receiver gets deeper than you, it's a touchdown. And so if somebody scores and you miss the tackle, everybody knows it's your fault. And so there was a lot of pressure. And at first I felt completely lost. I would break on the wrong angles or I'd be too late. The ball would be thrown. I'd take the wrong angle. It'd go over my head. And I was just a mess. I just couldn't get the timing down. I just, you had to react so quickly. And because it was new, I was processing the information very slowly in my mind. But my coach would stand right next to me. And he would say, okay, backpedal, backpedal, back. Now break, 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 right? Just simple little instructions like that to get me, to light a little fire underneath me and make me react quickly. And so as a result of this, game situations begin to become more and more familiar with me, to me, in practice, because we were sparring in a sense. We were creating scenarios that I would face on game day. And I remember the game that it finally all clicked. And I was lined up in the middle, cover three, for those of you that know what that means, right? The ball snapped, the quarterback drops back. I'm in my back pedal, watching for the deep ball. There's a receiver to my left who breaks open, he beats his corner. And all of a sudden, I watched the quarterback's eyes and I knew in an instant what to do. I knew where he was looking. I knew where he was going with that ball. And sure enough, as soon as he releases it, I break on the ball on the perfect angle. It's in the middle of the play, I knew exactly what was happening. All those times in practice begin to flash before my eyes. I made a great break on the ball. I had the perfect angle of attack. I closed in, and it appeared as though I would arrive at the perfect time to make a play. All of a sudden, the ball arrives at the receiver, and both of us get our hands on the ball at the same time. I rip the ball out of his hands for my first career interception. My momentum carries me out of bounds, and in one full swoop, I step out of bounds, I spike the football, and I look for my coach, and I run straight for him. I'm so excited. I bear hug him, and I lift him up off the ground. And he's kicking his feet, squirming, like, what is this kid doing? I was so excited. And what was amazing about that is the extra time spent with him both empowered me, excuse me, empowered me to perform and created an intimate, trusting relationship. And so in that moment, after I made that big play, I didn't do what a lot of, what you see a lot of pro athletes doing. I didn't turn up and beat my chest or make a motion to the crowd or try to get everybody hyped up, my initial reaction was to go straight to the man that helped me get to this point. See, my success did not go to my head, but it drove me back to the arms of the man who helped me get there. See, I got better because of the close relationship I had with my coach, because of the time I spent with him. And this is God's goal for prayer, church. Prayer is so much more than a list of requests. First and foremost, he wants us to experience intimacy with him and that out of that intimacy will flow God's power. How many of you are enjoying the Breakthrough Prayer reading plan that we're doing in this season? If you haven't signed up for that yet, you can find it on our website and you can catch up with us. We've got a few more days of it. The last one will be on Wednesday. 
so you can read and catch up. But there's a few quotes from those uh, devos that I'm going to be sharing with you today. And the first one here says, whenever our prayer life begins to diminish and our individual lives or as the corporate church, our spiritual authority is weakened. Today we live in extreme times in which the enemy is doing everything he can to diminish the power of the church. Therefore, every day we need a greater level of spiritual authority. And for this, we must pray without ceasing. So today, we're going to learn three ways to make prayer a practice or a sparring session that will empower us to exercise the spiritual authority Jesus has given us. This morning, I challenge you to step into the ring and begin to spar. So Jesus, we're going we're gonna to look here at Luke chapter 5, verses 15 through 18. And just to set up the context, Jesus had just healed a man with leprosy. How many of you think that's pretty cool? <laughs> he healed a man with leprosy. And word began to spread, bringing crowds from everywhere. He specifically instructed this man, don't tell anyone. But of course, he didn't listen. He was too excited, right? Because how many of you know when you have good news, you got to share it, right? And so the crowds begin to accumulate. And here's what happens in verse 15. It says, the report went around concerning him all the more. And great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Now it happened on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by, who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And listen to this, it says, the power of the Lord was present to heal them. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. I want to say this again, that your power will flow out of your intimacy with God. In verse 15, it says, the report went around and great multitudes came. And so Jesus's popularity was reaching an all-time high. He could not keep the people away. The demand for his time must have been overwhelming. And so this is different, right? This didn't happen all at once. Jesus began his ministry and then slowly his popularity began to grow until now People are coming in droves and waiting in line to speak with him or for him to lay hands on them and to heal them. And so surely some adjustments would have needed to be made to his schedule, right? See, this is where many of us get off track. Is the busier we get, maybe it's because we experience success in our business. Maybe it's even because we experience success in our ministry. The busier we get, one of the first things we sacrifice is our time in prayer. And we say to ourselves, God understands. I'm doing his work, right? Or I was up late last night ministering, or I was up late last night trying to keep my business from going under. And so obviously God understands if I hit the snooze button and I get a little extra sleep because that's the most important thing right now. But Jesus did not allow the demands of the multitudes to take him away from his prayer time. In fact, it says that he went away, and I believe what's implied here is in part because the crowds were always pressing in. And he knew that if he was going to experience intimacy with the Father, he had to get away. I want to define prayer for you today in this way. That prayer is frequent, focused fellowship with the Father. This is what Jesus exemplified in this passage. Frequent, focused fellowship with the Father. It's not a list of requests. It's not begging God to move on your behalf. It's not even intercession. Intercession is an aspect of prayer. Intercession is something you do while you're praying, but prayer is frequent, focused fellowship with the Father. In verse 16, it says, He himself, meaning Jesus, often withdrew. Somebody say often. He often withdrew. I want to give you three elements of a thriving prayer life. And the first one is this, frequency. Frequency. If you want to have a thriving prayer life, it needs to be frequent. First of all, have you ever stopped to ask yourself the question, why would the Son of God need to withdraw to a secret place to pray so often? If he's the son of God and he's fully God, why does he need to pray? 
I mean, can he just continue to just command things to happen? He's the son of God. Why does he need to pray? And one of the things I think we forget often is that Jesus stepped into flesh, that he became human. It doesn't mean that he stopped being God. He 100% was God, but he was also 100% man. He had the same weaknesses that come with flesh. And in order to stay connected to the Father, he needed to pray. Now, I've heard people say he didn't need to pray. He was just setting an example for us. I don't believe that. Because I believe the reason why he came in the flesh, first of all, you could say, okay, well, then how did he die? Because the Son of God can't die. Because he put on flesh. He put on weakness for you and me. And so he needed to pray. And so Jesus came not just to die for your sins, but also to show you how to live and to show you what it takes to show you what a completely surrendered life to God the Father looks like. And this is what he demonstrates for us, that he would often go away and pray. And so if the Son of God needs to visit a secret place and frequently pray, then do you think you and I need to do that? Our pattern is that when life gets busy, we spend less time in prayer. And it seems to make sense sometimes to catch up on sleep when you have a late night or to use your breaks and your mornings and your weekends to catch up on everything you couldn't get done throughout the week instead of praying. And we, we, we tell ourselves, if I, if I add prayer to this, it's going to kill me. I'm going to burn out. But church, I got to tell you, I have yet to meet the person who says, it all went wrong when I started praying. I mean, I was overwhelmed with my schedule when I added prayer to it. That's where it all went downhill. I mean, it just drained me, sucked the life out of me. It was just prayer, 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 prayer. Have you met that person? I haven't met that person either. And see, Jesus does the exact opposite. As the demands increase and, and, and people's expectations rise, he often withdrew for prayer. And it is for that very reason that he often withdrew. John Wesley put it this way. He said, I have so much to do that I spend several hours in prayer before I'm able to do it. The busier, the busier you are, the more you have to fight to make time to be in fellowship with the Father. See, there's a certain power uh, that is displayed only in those whose prayer time is consistent and frequent. This reminds me of a story in the book of Acts where Peter and John are going to the temple. It's in Acts chapter 3. You can follow along with me here. It says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. This is one of those uh, details that I think we quickly skim over and move on to the good stuff, right? Where somebody gets healed or a miracle takes place. But I want to point out the fact that they were headed to a three o'clock prayer service. When's the last time you guys went to church at three o'clock to pray? See, it was very uh, a part of the culture and the custom of that time for a Jewish person to pray up to three times a day. And so there would be these opportunities uh, to come to the temple and to pray throughout the day, multiple times of the day. And so what we see here by John and Peter attending this prayer service is they continue to carry on that practice. And why wouldn't they, right? Like if they were zealous for God before Jesus, and now the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for, had walked among them, died, and they saw him raised from the dead again, all the more would they be passionate about often praying. And so it was common for Jews, and I believe it was common for the early Christians in that day as well. Verse 2 says, as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently. Remember that statement. Looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them, eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
rise up and walk. Peter and John had something to give in this moment because they had a daily relationship with God through prayer. It's the reason why they weren't truly empty-handed. They had no silver or gold, but because they had intimacy with the Father, they had something even better. They had access to a power that was exactly what this man needed. And it says that they looked at him intently. I want to point out something that, that because they had this ongoing intimate relationship with the father, they didn't just stumble into this miraculous encounter, but they noticed something. They saw something in this man. They recognized that there was a need that needed to be met and that they had what it would take to meet this need. And so when they looked at him intently, they were looking and seeing Beneath the surface, something that I believe the Holy Spirit was revealing to them, saying, I have called you here today for this time to intervene. And they recognized this divine appointment because of their relationship with daily prayer. How many times have you and I missed opportunities to be used by God because we're not daily in prayer? Our spiritual eyes don't get exercised and they don't get used. And so we, we just get caught up in the hustle and the flow of everything. And we just go through the motions and we pass by opportunity after opportunity to be used by God in an amazing way. And it's not because we, we, we just simply weren't intentional. It's because we haven't been intentional with our daily prayer practice. Their faith and power came in part from not only the quality, but from the frequency of their prayer. So not only was Jesus intentional about when he prayed and how often he prayed, but also where he prayed. See, it specifically talks about how in verse 16, he went into the wilderness and prayed. He was seeking seclusion. See, when Jesus prayed, he sought out a secret and secluded place so that his prayer time could be free of distractions. I don't know if you know, you can be with your spouse, but if the television is on and the football game's on, you might not really be with your spouse. See, here's the thing. As Christians, you will never be, today, right now, if you're a believer, you will never be closer to God than you are right now. What I mean is in proximity he can't get any closer than inside of you, which is where the Bible tells us that he dwells. And so intimacy is not simply being close, but instead it's having focus and being 100%, uh, giving 100% uh, of your attention in that moment. It's being aware that you're there with that person and that person is, is with you. Like the song we sing, let us become more aware of your presence. And so number two is it needs to be focused. We need to have a prayer time that is focused. See, he was not distracted by the success of the crowds. We fall into that temptation all the time. We get distracted by others. And this came from having a focused prayer time. So prayer has to be more than just the pray without ceasing approach. How many of you pray when you're working out? That's awesome, right? How many of you pray when you're, when you're walking? That's fantastic. How many of you pray um, when you're in the store and there's people all around? That's awesome. Keep doing that. But that will never replace the secret place of prayer in your life. God wants your undivided attention as well as that ongoing prayer without ceasing. So where can you go that you are not distracted? It's a place where no one will bother you, where your phone is turned off. Some of you, I've talked about this before, you need to use a real Bible in your prayer time because your Bible will not have push notifications that suddenly you have to say, oh, I forgot to email that person. I better respond real quick right now. Next thing you know, you send 13 more emails and where has your prayer time gone? It can be in a room with the door closed. It can be out in nature in God's creation. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 6. He said, but when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. And this is what we see. 
in Jesus's life. That what the father saw him do in secret, he rewarded him in public through signs and wonders, through tangible power. Going back to our main passage here, verse 17 of Luke chapter 5. It says that the result of this was the power of the Lord was present to heal. I want you to think about those two words, power and presence. Power and presence. Number three is fellowship. Fellowship. If you want to have a thriving prayer life, it must be frequent. It must be focused. And it must be about fellowship. It must be about intimacy. See, when we come before God, he wants to hear our request. He wants to hear our needs. But he wants so much more than for us to just petition him. He wants intimacy. The power of the Lord flows out of fellowship with the Father. And the power was present as a result of the time that Jesus spent in prayer. This is found in your readings this week as well. It says, power is our inheritance as children of God. Do you see the relationship between relationship and power? It says, power is our inheritance as children of God. The child relationship is what gives us the inheritance of God's power. But he says, but we can only use it legally in a spiritual sense through prayer that is part of an intimate relationship with the Father. Paul said it like this in Philippians 3.8. He said, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. This is a very powerful statement to the hearers that he would have first been writing this letter to. Because Paul lived a squeaky clean religious life before Christ. He was all about the law of God. He was a Pharisee and he called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. Meaning, I was righteous and I knew it. It was kind of his attitude. And he'd experienced all that, all the human effort of trying to appear righteous before others, trying to prove to God his devotion. He realized that all of that effort was wasted outside of a deep fellowship with Christ. He wanted to become one with him to experience intimacy, to experience a fellowship with God. And this is what fueled Paul's ministry. I think at times we make this mistake as followers of Jesus. As we, we look at him as, as if he's like the force in Star Wars. And when we pray, it's just simply for the purpose of gaining a breakthrough or influence or power or being used by him in a mighty way. Those are all fine things to pray for. But what God wants is relationship. What God wants is intimacy and the power comes as a result of the intimacy. It comes as a result of understanding who you are in Christ Jesus. And it is in those moments of prayer that God reveals things like that to us. Like, this is who you are in me. This is what it means to be my child. This is how I have given you spiritual authority. And this is how I want you to operate in it. It's a sparring session. We don't learn these things simply by reading about them. We learn these things by spending intimate times of prayer with the Father. And this is what God desires. Jesus said to the, the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3.20, he said, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, what does he say? He says, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. 
And for so long, many have used this verse as a salvation invitation, but it's not that at all. Instead, it's a call to intimacy. See, Jesus, in this, in this letter, he's not knocking on the door of a stranger's heart, but of those who knew him and have shut him out. I guarantee you that church in Laodicea did not have much of a prayer life to speak of. And when they did pray, I bet it was a list of requests and petitions and nothing more. He's not just stopping by for a visit, but he says, I want to come in and I want to share a meal with you. The imagery he's painting there is, I want to be in close relationship with you. I want our prayer time to be quality time. And I want it to be frequent. I want it to be focused. I want it to be about the relationship. That's where the power comes from. Here's another passage from our reading this week. It says, when a person's spirit is empty, they produce empty words. When a person's spirit is burning with the Holy Spirit, they release God's power through anointed words and generate spiritual activity. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like your words are empty. You feel like your efforts are in vain. And you're realizing that there's a connection between that and the lack of prayer relationship in your life. See, we need a prayer life that's characterized by frequency, focus, and fellowship with the Father so that we can operate with the power and authority that is only found through intimacy. I want to issue a challenge to you today because an important component of sparring is also something that I'll probably talk a little bit more about next week. It's the practice of fasting. Somebody made me promise not to talk about fasting today, but I have to anyway. <laughs> you ever do that? You're like, oh, please don't challenge me because if you do, I know I'm going to have to do it. But why do we fast? Well, there's plenty of, of biblical examples of fasting uh, in the scripture, but here's five of them. Number one, we do it to humble ourselves. Number two, we put spiritual concerns above our own desires so that we may experience more of God's power and presence. Thirdly, to mourn over personal sin and the sins of the church. It can be a way of showing remorse and repenting. Fourthly, to deepen our relationship with God. And number five, to break off strongholds and bring deliverance. Fasting is for those who do not want to become content with where they are. Fasting is for those that recognize the situation and know that there needs to be a breakthrough. Fasting are for those that are willing to be honest with themselves and, uh, and admit that quite simply can be a way to just tell your flesh no. Fasting quite simply can be a way to just tell your flesh no. I'm not going to do whatever you feel like doing, but I'm going to discipline my body so that Christ becomes the most important thing into me. And every time I feel that hunger inside, I'm going to remember that my soul hungers for more of him. And I'm going to combine that fasting with prayer. I think it was Pastor Leroy Cloud, I'm told, that would often say, that if you are fasting and not praying, that's not fasting, that's just a diet. So we combine our fasting with prayer. And I believe if we will do that, that we're going to experience a breakthrough in our personal lives and a breakthrough in our church. And so I'm inviting you between now and Easter, 21 days, to begin a fast and begin to pray. There's also a, a reading a plan that goes along with this that will begin on Thursday morning. We'll be finishing up this 10-day plan on Wednesday. And on Thursday morning, you can go on our website and sign up so you can do it along with us. If those of you didn't realize or get the invitation, uh, we can do this in such a way that we can actually make comments at the end of each reading and we can have a discussion about it. And so that's been happening. There's about 10 of us or so that have been um, adding comments and, and discussing things. And it's been a really incredible time. 
So we, we encourage you to be a part of that as well. But I want to give you real quickly some instructions and a little short teaching here on what Jesus said about fasting. Some things I want to point out. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, Jesus says, and when you fast, somebody say when. When you fast, that means he was anticipating that you will fast. Not if you fast, but when you fast. He says, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you will do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Okay, so we're given instructions on how to do it the right way, but there's a couple things I want to point out. Number one, Jesus expects us to fast. This should be a, a discipline, a part of every believer's life. It's not reserved for preachers, pastors, missionaries, evangelists. It should be a part of all of our lives. And secondly, we are promised a reward. And when God makes a promise, he doesn't make it lightly. And I believe that God has a reward for us as a church. And if we will be willing to be disciplined and begin a discipline of prayer and fasting in our life, we're going to see that reward come to pass. So I just want to invite you, if you would just stand with me this morning. The team's going to lead us in a time for us just to extend our time in prayer and worship this morning. But I'm going to pray for you, and I want you to consider taking this challenge and going on this journey with us. Now, here's three ways that you can participate. I encourage you to do all three in some way, shape, or form. Number one, a media fast. Or just time spent that could be devoted to prayer. So whatever that thing is, maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's something that you spend a whole heck of a lot of time doing where you get, for these three weeks, devote that time to prayer instead, okay? So whether that's social media, whether that's movies, TV shows, whatever it is, but just to fast it for a period of time so that you can better focus on the things of God. Number two is a total food fast, okay? So that can happen in different ways. You can decide to go without food and be liquid only for 21 days. You, want, you might want to consult with your doctor before you do that. Some are more fit to do that than others because of different diseases and sicknesses and things. Um, or you can choose to say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast one day a week for these next three weeks, three days a week for these next three weeks. Maybe I'm going to fast uh, one meal every single day for three weeks. That's between you and God. But I'm giving you options to show that you can participate, that everyone in here can participate. And then the third would be a partial food fast, which would be like a Daniel fast, for instance. Daniel ate nothing but fruit or vegetables for 21 days. That might be harder than a fast, if you ask me. So you get tired of those vegetables. But I invite you to participate in one, if not all three of these ways. Well, I guess you can't do all three because that wouldn't make sense, would it? <laughs> but I invite you to join in on this journey. So I'm going to pray for you. And if that's you and you say, God, I want to respond by going on this journey with my church, then I want you to make a public statement by simply coming to the front for a time of worship, a time in his presence. And that will signify that you've signed up. Okay? So Father, right now, we just come before you. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would just show us, God, what untapped potential there is here, Lord. And God, the, the intimacy that you desire to have with your church. And God, that you would stir up a hunger in us, God, that rivals the hungriest day we've ever experienced. Father, there, there would be a shift that would take place in our mindset, Lord. Lord, Esau sacrificed his blessing for a bowl of soup. But Jacob gained a blessing by giving away a bowl of soup. And Father, I pray that same mindset and shift would take place in our hearts, Lord God, 
that we would stop settling for a bowl of soup over what you have in store for us, over the good things that you desire to give and pour out. Your Holy Spirit wants to pour out on this place in fresh and new ways, God. You want a greater anointing for us. You want a greater intimacy with us, Father God. And we have traded it away time and time again for a bowl of soup. God, for time in front of a screen, God, for for extra time sleeping in the morning, God, show us, Lord, that what you have to offer is so much greater, and may we stop passing it up for lesser things. And so, Father, I commit to go on this journey of prayer and fasting to you this morning. And Father, I pray that you would just move upon the hearts of everyone in here, God, to join us and experiencing what you want to show us during this time of prayer and fasting. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you and you want to join on this journey with us these next three weeks, I just invite you to come down to the front right now and we're going to worship. Your will be done. He 
miracle can happen now and it is for the spirit of the Lord is right here with us the evidence is all around that the spirit of the Lord is Find my battles. This is how I find my battles. Jesus. This is how I find my battles. Come on, sing it out. This is how I find my battles. This is how. This is how I find my battles. This is how I find my battles. This is how I find my battles. Through my worship. This is how I find my battles. This is how it may look. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. You know, that line is a reference to, I want to say Elisha instead of Elijah, right? I think it's Elisha. 
and he's got his servant with him and they wake up and they're surrounded by chariots and warriors, a whole army. And he's terrified and he says, Master, what will we do? And Elisha says, he prays. And he prays that his eyes would be opened. Suddenly he sees that there's an army of angels surrounding them. He says, greater, there's more for us than there are against us. And that vision was unlocked through prayer. And I don't know what, what you're facing right now, where you're needing a breakthrough, but whatever it is, you need to understand that this is how you will find victory. This is the place where you will experience breakthrough because there's no amount of effort, there's no amount of self-control or any of that that's going to be the difference between failure and victory, but it is prayer. And so if you're in the room this morning and you're just, you just raise your hand and say, I need a breakthrough in my life right now. There's something very specific that I need to break through for. Would you just raise your hand? All over the place. Okay, now if you see somebody with their hand raised, would you just come put a hand on their shoulder and just come into agreement with them right now for prayer? Come and find somebody with their hand raised. Even if yours is raised too, you can lay your hand on someone else. Father, right now in Jesus' name, we come into agreement for whatever it is, whatever the need. Father, we come into agreement, God, for those who have wayward children, Lord God, that are not serving you. We pray right now in Jesus' name that the prodigals would come home. And God, that you would make the fountain a place where prodigals can return to again, Father, in Jesus' name. God, we pray for those whose marriages are struggling. And right now we come into agreement with them that, that your Holy Spirit is going to do a work in their lives and restoring that relationship, Father, in Jesus' name. Father God, I'm praying that uh, the, the stronghold of addiction would be torn down in Jesus' name, Father God, that we would begin to see people set free from addictions to pornography and alcohol and just too much media. God, whatever it is, God, that is just consuming them to where it has become Lord over them. Father, we break it off in Jesus' name. Father, for those that are needing a breakthrough, God, with their younger children, they're not old enough to be prodigals yet, but they're struggling. And we pray for healing in Jesus' name, Father. We pray, God, for healing of autism. We pray for healing of behavior disorders in Jesus' name, attachment disorders in Jesus' name. We claim healing over our children, Father, in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for every parent in this place, Lord God, that you would just minister healing to them, God, for those that are suffering, God, from PTSD, from the things that they've endured and the battles they've waged in trying to parent their children. And we pray for healing, to, and God, for peace to be restored to their hearts and mind, Father, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Father, we thank you. And we commit to fighting the battle where it's actually waged. Father God, as we take this time of fasting and prayer, God, we pray, God, for number one, a greater level of intimacy with you, Jesus. Father, my heart is that every, every power displayed would flow out of an intimacy with you, Father. Lord Jesus, I just want to know you more. Thank you, Jesus, for the promises that you have for us that lay on the other side of prayer and intercession and fasting. And we claim those things because that's what you desire for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Uh, the team's going to, I'm going to go ahead and let the team just play us out today, but just to, just, um, if you want to stay and worship a little longer, feel welcome to do that. Otherwise, have a great afternoon. And I'm excited that you join this journey with us. Don't forget on Thursday morning to download that reading plan so we can go through it together. How many of you are excited for what God has in store for the fountain? Yeah. Amen. Praise God. Have a great day.